0: Welcome back to the show. You are listening to the Free Trail Podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Dylan Bowman, and it feels like it's been a while. I feel a little rusty here on the microphone. In reality, it's only been a couple of weeks since our last episode, but it has been a whirlwind. A lot has happened in my life, including fatherhood. I'm officially a dad. In fact, I have my son strapped to my chest right now as I record this, and we have been happily adjusting to this new and wonderful reality for our family. And after a little bit of a break, it's good to be back with Marianne Hogan, the great Canadian ultra running sensation that has emerged as one of the best and most dynamic trail athletes in the world. Over the last 12 months, Marianne has been on a roll, displaying consistent world-class performance at some of the sport's most important races. Keen observers of trail running will know that Marianne Hogan finished third place at the 2022 Western States 100, her first 100-miler, before following that up with a second place at the UTMB just two weeks ago in her second 100-miler. In doing so, Marianne became the first person to podium at both of the world's most important 100-mile races in the same summer since one Killian Jornet won both way back in 2011. Pretty impressive stuff. We, of course, talk all about Marianne's background, her history with sport, her triathlon background, and how that's informed her development. We talk about her history with injury and what she's learned through that process before, of course, we go deep on this great run of consistency and awesome performances that she's had recently, including her races at both Western States and UTMB. It was super fun to get to know Marianne, and I cannot wait to see what she does in the future. I also just recorded with UTMB champion Katie Scheid, so we'll be releasing that interview soon as well, but this is a great one. Hope you enjoy. As usual, a big thank you to Speedland for being the presenting sponsor of the Free Trail Podcast, the boutique hyper-performance footwear brand based here in Portland, Oregon. Speedland represents the pinnacle of design and innovation in the footwear space. The SLHSV is available now at runspeedland.com, inspired by the trails of the southeastern United States and the toughness of Speedland athlete Liz Canty. The SLHSV is built to shred from Huntsville, Alabama, Alabama, to the West Coast, to the Beast Coast, to the Mountain West. It's an absolutely beautiful machine. And I would provide my full endorsement of its performance on the trails. Big things are coming ahead for Speedland. So don't miss out. Go check out runspeedland.com. Sign up for the newsletter and follow them on Instagram at runspeedland. And finally, the Gorge Waterfalls 50K Lottery is officially open now over on Ultra Signup. So for those who want to come up to the Pacific Northwest and shred 50 kilometers of beautiful spring single track, please go to Ultra Sign Up and put your name in the lottery now. You have until September 16th to throw your name in the hat, and then we'll be hosting the drawing on September 17th. For those who want to do the 100K or the newly added 30K in 2023, The traditional non-lottery registration for Gorge Waterfalls will open for those distances on September 18th. Mark your calendars. We have tons of big plans for Gorge next year. We will reveal more in the near future, and we would love to see you there. Okay, thanks for being here for this episode. Hope you enjoy it. Marianne Hogan, hello. Welcome to the podcast. How are you?
1: Hi, thanks so much for having me. It's a real honor.
0: And you're just back home in Montreal after an awesome tour of the European continent. How are you feeling? (laughs) I guess we're almost exactly a week removed from your awesome second place finish at UTMB.
1: Yeah, I I can't believe it's already been a week. Actually, I feel like it just flew by. (laughs) It's weird. It's weird to be back to Canada, too.
0: And, and how are you feeling physically and emotionally? I, I mean, I, one of the things I'm curious about is that your life must be materially different than it was three months ago. After <laughs> landing on the podium of both Western States and UTMB, you've very, you know, effectively made your mark on the sport in a very powerful way. I mean, how are you feeling? And like, how has life changed in the last three months?
1: Um, you know, I can't say that I, it's hit me yet after Western States, people kept saying that to me. And I was like, I don't know that, (laughs) I don't know that I feel any different. I know that I'm, I'm really happy to be out there and, you know, I was so happy to be out on the start line of UTMB and, and just finish crossing the finish line was enough for me and, and making it second is definitely more than enough for me. So, um, I guess I'm still soaking it all in and, and, uh, it it feels good, but it, it hasn't really hit me yet.
0: Yeah. And I know physically you're not in tip top shape and uh, you posted about how there was some damage incurred out on the UTMB course, but we'll get around to talking about that a little bit later, but Marianne, you know, I recall your name coming into my consciousness just back in November of 2021, because I was helping out with the live stream of the ultra trail Cape town. And I know you've been an athlete your whole life just from doing a little bit of research about you, but aside from that, like, I just don't know that much about you aside from you being from Canada and being on an absolute tear on the international (laughs) racing circuit in the last call it 12 months or so. So I'd love to just kind of do a little background. If you could tell us a little bit about yourself, your childhood, your history with sport and things like that.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, so I am the youngest of four kids, and we are four and four years. So we're, we 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 were raised as a family that you know we weren't allowed to watch TV, and and sports was really like a something that we were, we were to do kind of a to, to play outside and things like that. So that's kind of how I started my youth and. I started out really early as a swimmer um, and then quickly transitioned as a triathlete and did triathlon all through kind of like my my high school years, all through my junior years. And um, I kind of developed as a a young junior triathlete on the national team, going to world championships and really enjoyed uh, that scene for a little but it was really a, a huge dream of mine to, to go study in the US um, and the, to, to kind of go on the NCAA um, program just because they – for us Canadians, they seem like it's it's such a big deal and that's kind of what I wanted to do. So I, I decided to kind of apply to different schools. And so um, I, I applied to schools that were completely opposite to Quebec. So I applied to schools in like California, Hawaii, Florida, things like that, um, and ended up going to San Diego State University. I did uh, my bachelor's and my master's degrees out there. So I ended up running five years of uh, 10K around the track. And at the end of those five years, um, I was so sick and tired of being told that I had to run like 84 second laps and and, yeah. and, and anything related to laps. So what I did is um, I actually had an extra year where I could uh, I could uh, work in the U.S. So I decided to move to Boulder, Colorado which you know very well. Um, And that's really where I discovered trail running. Um, I discovered trail running uh, a lot through the Rocky Mountain Runners uh, group out in Boulder. I didn't
0: realize that. Um, yeah, Ryan yeah. Silke's crew there in Boulder, yeah, they built an course. institution of the yeah. rock and rock runners.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, nice I was fun. a regular. I was a regular. I wouldn't miss any Monday night of Green Mountain that finished at the pub. So that's kind of how I fell in love about uh, with trail running. And then that's where my trail running career started
0: that's fantastic. And I think so highly of them. And I've heard from so many people who live in Boulder now and who've been part of the trail running community there that the Rocky mountain runners group has been so instrumental in in really cultivating community in the Boulder area and connecting all the athletes in a place that is well known for being an outdoor and endurance sport Mecca. But before we move on, I'd love to explore a little bit about like your siblings and stuff being the youngest of four, that are all four years apart, it seems like. That's really an interesting dynamic to grow up within. And, And maybe you being kind of the runt of the litter, the youngest one, has that shaped you in any way, both personally or athletically?
1: Yeah, I think in both ways. I'm definitely kind of the one that I'm the youngest, but I'm super close to to my brothers and sister. Um, And I was always the one that was trying to get them to to go out and play. And they would always have me like go around in circle like, oh, I'll play if this person plays and if this person plays. So I had to go out and convince everyone to go and play like a, a game of soccer outside or something like that um and it but but it was also about you know uh, kind of joining joining them um and and trying to de- you know you develop earlier you know i started skiing earlier just cuz i was the youngest but they put me on skis anyways because it was just easier to to have me out there than to have to bring me to daycare or something like that. Um, And it was always about trying to keep up with my brothers and trying to keep up with my sister. And I I really do think that it shapes me um, as a person today and it continues to shape me. Uh, My brother was actually the one doing my crew at uh, UTMB and he was also the one doing my crew at Western States. So, um, and my whole family was out there. So uh, it is, they are very much part of uh, the person that I am today and, and they continue to be for sure that must be so
0: special to share those
1: experiences
0: with your siblings, especially those transcendental hundred mile (laughs) changing days with your brother. I mean, I'm sure it creates amazing bond between you guys and amazing memories for him as well. So let's talk about triathlon a little bit too, because this is an interesting part of your story and your development. Of course, triathlon is a a dynamic sport. You also have experience in track and field and actually this is just popping into my head too, but you being the youngest of four, I think Jakob Ingebritz in the great uh, track and field athlete is also the youngest brother of, you know, his family uh, who have all been great track and field athletes. And so there's maybe a connection there of just being kind of the youngest one and kind of benefiting from all the experience and maybe abuse from your siblings. But anyway, what <laughs> yeah. I was going towards is, you know, your experience with triathlon because you know, I'm curious, of course, like that being such a dynamic sport, how you feel it's maybe helped you in your development with trail running specifically, anything that you carry over in training or in race execution that you, uh, you, you sort of remember from those early days of triathlon.
1: Yeah, I think that triathlon is a very interesting sport and it, it forces you to kind of be, a um, kind of versatile athlete. Um, you know, I, I was as a triathlete too, I was there was never one sport that I was dominant at that was I was always, you know, an OK swimmer, an OK biker and an OK runner, which made me an overall good triathlete, which I think is kind of funny. And I, and I do think that that's kind of me uh, as a trail runner as well. Um, like I'm an OK, you know, at Western States, I'm an OK on faster course and I'm an OK at like more mountainous distances. If you ask me what my strength is, I couldn't really tell you. Um, so I, I think that probably doing triathlon kind of shaped me as as that person. Um but what I thought was interesting and I was thinking during UTMB was when I did, we used to do triathlons, they also give you times on your transitions. And um, I was always competing with my brother on like uh, who has the shortest transition time, like the, as if that was a race. Um, and I was thinking about that during UTMB as to it would be really interesting to, to kind of give like awards to the people who spend less amount of time in the aid stations. Um, and so I, I thought that was an interesting parallel as well.
0: Yeah. And uh, as you get more experience in the sport, you find that, yeah, the more, more you can minimize that stoppage time, I mean, it ends up becoming critical, especially in races like Western States and UTMB. So, you know, in terms of your development as a trail runner specifically, of course, you just mentioned the Rocky Mountain Runners and your, the time that you spent in Boulder, but now you live back in Montreal in Quebec, which is probably not necessarily like a big trail and mountain running hub uh, of the world. So I'm curious to hear you talk about that, about how you're able to compete at such a high level at these world-class races, when you're not living in a place that is synonymous with having amazing trails to run.
1: Yeah, um, <clears throat> I think that, uh, I, I mean, I'm someone who who runs a lot. So I, I'm someone who will run frequently, I mean. So I'm not necessarily like one big run a day. Like I'm someone who likes to run like morning, lunch, dinner, kind of separate my day. It kind of allows me to... To, to cut the, the work day something like that and so I do think that if if I am to work a nine to five job it doesn't really matter where I am because it, it's, dif- it's difficult otherwise to kind of go in the mountains uh, given the fact that I do have to be at work from, from nine to five and something like that so um, I manage it that way and then what I do is on the weekends I go everywhere um, and so outside of Montreal there are some pretty nice uh, nice mountains of course it's it's not the Alps and anything like that but uh, you know the white mountains are reachable uh, green mountains mountains in Vermont, um, in the Adirondacks and then in Quebec proper, there's some pretty good mountains as well. So there is something to be said about, uh, being a weekend warrior and, and, and living in the city. And, and I think it is possible. I think it's just a matter of, of being, uh, committed to your sport and passionate about your sport mostly.
0: And I was going to ask about that. Cause it seems like there is kind of a, a good group of committed and passionate trail runners in Montreal. Can you talk about that community a, a bit?
1: Yeah, there's a huge group of uh, people who love trail running in Montreal and in Quebec, and it's really nice. Um, And I touch base uh, about the places that are around Montreal, but in the middle of Montreal, um, there's a mountain, it's called Mont-Royal, and it's not at all a a mountain per se, but it does have trails. Um, And there's a lot, a lot of people who are just so enthusiastic about running. And um, as often as I can, I go running with these different clubs. There's a lot of clubs in Montreal um, a lot of social runs uh, that that go through this that, that go through the mountain, but also that that will run through the parks and different places in Montreal, which is really really fun. Um, Montreal is actually a great running community, um, and uh, I know that when you when you do the live, there's a lot of the of people from Quebec that follow along and they're super enthusiastic. And I was and that's why
0: there's so many <laughs> Canadian flag emojis in the chat. I know,
1: <laughs> I know, I know. Which is really nice. Like it's nice to be part of a community that really and really supports you and whenever you go running they're just so enthusiastic about what you do and and it's really something that you feel um throughout the the running community here in Montreal is that they're very proud and they're very happy about the uh, uh about what you do and and just being part of the community as a whole
0: yeah. It must make you very proud to represent that community on the international stage. So stepping back in time a little bit, it looked like your first ultra marathon was back in 2015 at the silver rush 50 in Leadville. It was actually my first ultra marathon also in 2010, nice. always a formative experience. Those first yeah. ultra marathons, <laughs> but then it looks like, and I've heard you sp- speak about a couple of times in I run far interviews about a serious injury that you incurred and. 2017 or so. So maybe talk about that. What was that injury? And what was that hiatus like, um, for you as somebody who had been an athlete your whole life?
1: Yeah. So what happened was, um, I had a good couple of years there running trails, loving it. And then, uh, in 2018, um, I went out running with my brother and, um, I was out on the trails just on a very easy section and my ankle twisted, my right ankle twisted. And it got stuck in the root and my body went flying forward and um, I just spiral fractured my uh, tibia and fibula. Um, I knew immediately that it was broken. My foot was completely out of (laughs) out of whack. Um, And uh, and so uh, that actually put a put a huge damper in my in my running days. Um, it was really interesting because when I got out of the woods that day, um, I called my doctor and my doctor, uh, straight up said like, Hey, Marianne, this is because I got an x-ray and everything. And it was confirmed that it was a spiral fracture. And he told me this is actually going to be a difficult one to, to recover. Um, it's going to take you at least six months before you, uh, start being able to consider trying to run again. And I thought to myself like, that can't be true. Like a bone, they only take six weeks to heal. Yeah. Uh, but spiral fractures are very tricky. And um, it took at least six months for me to even like walk without a limp. Um, and I still had all the hardware in my leg, So it was really difficult for me to run. And for some reason, my body wasn't reacting well to the hardware that was put in my body because I could feel it with every step. Mm. So when I was able to run again, I started running, but it was very much with the limp. Like you couldn't. really, Yeah, I was nowhere close to being the same person that I was. Um, I ran for about maybe so I I toughed it out for a whole year and then um, I requested to get the the hardware removed. And when I did that, that's when I was able to kind of finally come back. But that was a whole entire second surgery um and two surgeries uh in my leg actually really severely damaged it the my right leg is still to this day very small um and it definitely has an impact uh, it is part of the reason why I struggle at the end of UTMB with my left leg because I just overcompensate my right calf is like tiny in comparison to my left and um same goes with my with my uh, right thigh um So, yeah, so it it was an injury that, you know, it happened for a split second, but cost me about two years of my running career. Um, But But it was uh, almost
0: like four years. I mean, if you look at your results, you didn't race between 2017 and 2021, at least from what I can tell on the major Internet databases of race (laughs) results.
1: Yeah, so I had a big uh, year in 2017 when I, it was when I started running again in 2018 and I was about to start that, that season is when I got seriously injured. Um, So 2018 up until 2020, basically um, two years. Um, But I also um, during that time, so I wasn't able to run at all, but I really wanted to focus on something just because I needed to to kind of focus on a goal or something like that. So I started working as a, a Paralympic guide. Um, in triathlon. And so that took a lot of my time. And what happened was I had committed to being a guide up until 2020, but then because of COVID 2020 became 2021. And so um, I couldn't, I can't do both at the same time. I can't really be a guide and the trail runner uh, just because the scheduling is just so, so intense. And so I kind of pushed back again, my trail running days for a year later up until that's why I came out in Cape town in November, because it was so far out in the season. And I had done my triathlon um, Paralympic. Uh, so Tokyo happened in, in August, 2021. And that's when I was able to, to get to, to trail running again. And that's yeah. kind of how that happened.
0: I really wanted to ask you about the Paralympic guiding. Cause I think it's a really touching part of your story. And I didn't realize that it was connected to this period of injury. So maybe yeah. dig into that a little bit more. Was it in that darkness and sadness of injury where you were looking for a way to stay connected with sport? And did you find that in the guiding? And maybe in answering that question, explain a little bit more about what you were doing with the Paralympic team.
1: Yeah, so um it was definitely to, it was definitely kind of um to keep me occupied during those during those the during those times and also keep me focused and working towards something because that's really something that i enjoy um and it kind of just fell on me what happened is when i was a, a junior triathlete athlete and i went to worlds the, there was an elite woman um, at the time uh, who is now the uh head coach for the Par- canadian paralympic team and to be a guide you really you're not allowed to race for yourself on the trap on circuit uh, but you have to have a specific experience uh, working with Triathlon. And so the, the pool of candidates in Canada is not that is not that big. And so I think what they did is they were probably going down the list of like junior triathletes who had gone to worlds and who had done national teams, but who were no longer racing, but still in shape because you still have to be um because you you do the full triathlon and on the tandem, you're at the front of the tandem. So it's very important that you're very strong on the bike. Um, so they contacted me, I think, in April of 2019. Um, And they sent me out to Victoria, British Columbia for a time trial test on the on the tandem Um, and to see if I was going to be if I was connecting with Jessica, who is the athlete I was paired up with. Um, and then things went really well. And, 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 uh, I think a week later we were out, uh, we were, we were we were leaving for Hawaii for a training camp and going straight to Yokohama in Japan for, for our first world cup. Um, so it was a quick turnover and it, it was quite the experience, um, ever since then, you know, we traveled the world together and, um, it was an experience like no other because it was very, uh, it was very, it was a very human experience and it really, um, you know, it showed me so much about the world. It's very interesting to be connected to someone who cannot see. Um, it seems like a very basic statement, but it's crazy to it, it's crazy to experience it from so close because uh, I I am her guide in the, in, in the race. But I'm also her guide in life. When we go, you know, when you go on an international scene, I'm guiding her through everything um and it's just it, it was just a very eye opening experience to say the least um and uh and i'm so happy that i did it like it, it really it, it it helped me evolve as a person um on so many levels and communication being one of them um it's crazy how much you, you think that the people understand what you mean. But when the person is blind and the, it, my athlete is also half deaf, uh, you really have to, to to weigh in every single word that you say, and it has to mean exactly what it says. And so mm. it's just, there's just a lot of things to consider when working with with someone like Jessica. And, and it's, it was a, a very nice experience. Talk
0: a little bit more about your and Jessica's relationship. In what ways has she inspired you to the successes that you've achieved in your career?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's 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 kind of crazy. So Jessica, um, she had a career as a swimmer. Um, so back when she was like, I think sixteen to eighteen, she won uh, some Paralympic medals in swimming, and then went off for like ten years and didn't do anything, and then decided that she wanted to start doing triathlons, um, and so came back and started a whole new career as a Paralympic athlete, um, and became and started doing triathlon, and it just it, it it's it's just crazy to me, um, all the things that you are able to do, even if you have these things going on, you know, like injuries. And I think that that's something that we can all relate to is, you know, you have something going on, but you're, you're able to, to overcome it and still go forward and still do things. So I do think that Jessica really opened up my eyes to that, but, um, she is also a wonderful human being who is, Always happy. Um, she's just always having a good time and she's always smiling. And and you know, there is something to be said about going to the beach and having her comment on the smells and the sounds and mm-hmm. and um like it was interesting once because we were discussing like so we're traveling the world, right? And it, it's it's interesting because to me it's very hard to understand, like as a blind person, how can you enjoy the fact that you're in Australia versus the fact that you're in Norway, for example, like how do you differentiate where you find yourself in the world? If you can't really tell where you are Um, and you're so dependent on other people. And so there, there's just all these dimensions that you, you know, you you don't really find yourself asking about um, if, if you're not in in that situation. Uh, But now that I've asked myself these questions and that, that, and I'm aware of them, like I, I feel like I'm so much more aware of the little things in life and just you know, grateful for 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 life in general.
0: Yeah, beautiful. Well, I I think it's just such a interesting and impactful part of your story that, and I'm sure it's a two way street. Like Jessica, you know, you guide her in a lot of ways, and you contribute to her athletic success. But I'm sure when you're out there suffering at UTMB, you're <laughs> remembering all the miles that you guys have shared together, and probably drawing some inspiration from her as well. So yeah, let's, for sure. Let's talk a little bit about your return from injury into this incredible run of success that you've been on recently, like I said. I was doing the live stream at Ultra Trail Cape Town back in November of last year, where you finished second behind Courtney DeWalter in a fantastic podium performance. Then you came back down to the US, down to Texas, and won the Bandera 100K, punched your golden ticket to Western States, where you finished third place. And now you finished second at UTMB. So you came back from injury and have just been on an absolute roll. I'm wondering before we sort of talk about those races, maybe to what you attribute to this incredible, consistent run of success. Like, do you feel that maybe in that time of injury, you were able to reset and develop more energy and motivation, or is there anything else that you can point to that you think has really contributed to this incredible run of consistency?
1: Well, I, I don't want to say that. I mean, I don't want to claim that I'm the most excited person on the start line, but uh, I, I think that it would be difficult not. To, <laughs> it would be difficult to, to be more excited than I am, to be honest. And and that just goes because, it you know, it had been four years that, I, you know, I was I was on the sideline uh, cheering people on, being on people's crews, you know, uh, being being there, being a volunteer, part partaking in the trail running community but never being able to take part of a race um and for multiple reasons at first it was my my uh at first it was my injury but then it was also the fact that i had committed to to my work with just as a paralympic so i feel like ever since my like like door has opened back into trail running. Um, I'm just so excited and and I want to make sure that I use up every single opportunity that I have to to go out there and run as fast and as as best as I can. Um and and to a certain degree, it doesn't really matter to me how fast I run. It's just a matter of making it to the start line and making it to the finish if I can. And and I and I'm not saying that I'm all about, you know, finish at every cost. Um, but to me it's just that's what I want and and I want to make sure that I get it done because i know that it will make me happy and, and usually it does so um i think that my consistency is just the fact that every single time i've shown up on the start line i've been so enthusiastic to be there that mm. i'm willing to and when i get to a dark place like I, I i can't really call it a dark place because it's it's just like i'm expecting it and it's part of the process and i've chosen to be there and i've waited so long to be there that yeah, i just have to push through it because i've asked for it you know
0: yeah So it's a psychological thing that has made you so consistent. Was there any, I'm curious, since you mentioned that you never really lost touch with the community that you were out volunteering and crewing for people, did you ever kind of lose hope that you were going to be able to come back and compete at such a high level again? Or did you always have that belief when you were suffering through that multiple year injury?
1: Uh, No, I've never, I've never lost hope. Um, I don't know if it was, uh, at the time, I didn't know if it was misplaced hope, but I never, I had never lost it. It was also, it was always like, I just have to be patient and understand that, you know, someday I'll be able to be out there as well. And, and uh, I just held on to it. And, and I was surrounded by the good, by good people who cared about me and who, who kept including me regardless of if I was racing or not, and regardless of if I was doing well or not. And, and that means the world to me. And, and uh, I think that that's why too, like community is hugely important for me and, and will always be. And uh, it's probably one of the biggest reasons why I'm in this sport in the first place.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about your training a little bit. I guess we sort of touched on this with your answer about being a triathlete in your earlier life, but you live in Eastern Canada and I imagine the winters are harsh. You don't live near the big mountains to simulate something like UTMB. How would you characterize your training and you know, aside from being a weekend warrior who can bounce to the white mountains and the green mountains and the Adirondacks (laughs) and stuff. Are there any other words of advice that you would give to people who live in sort of flatter non-mountainous regions to be successful in the mountainous races?
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said. I I think sometimes we worry too much about like, um, you know, if we have to do vert, then we have to do at least like a thousand meter vert for it to, to, to be worth it. But I think that just the little things, they add up. And, um, I always suggest to people, like if, you know, if you can get out and do like 30 minutes of stair work or, 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 um, even just 15 minutes, like it's better to do that than nothing at all. And so the little things really do add up. And if you're in a city environment or something like that, um, you can also, you know, what I do usually when I'm, when I'm in the city, uh, I don't necessarily like to make training, um, annoying in a certain way I try to make it as fun as possible so I'll just go running like a just just a run that's more like a touristy run or something throughout the city and then I come back home and I do specific like weight exercises that kind of simulate the fact that I would be going up a mountain so then I'm having fun in the process and it's not just about you know going up and down the a a flight of stairs just to say that you're you're doing vert um so yeah I think that if you're if you're not in an environment that you're able to to completely incorporate trail running or anything like that. I think that weight room is your best friend. Uh, Just make sure that you're, you're going regularly and, and, and doing exercises that are pertinent to the races that you're preparing to.
0: Be more specific about that. How would you recommend people approach their lifting of heavy objects to be better in the mountains?
1: I don't even do um I don't even do lifting of heavy objects I just focus on doing on working on my legs like as much squats or lunges or things like that um I think that that's sufficient and as as I feel like as long as I feel like my legs are strong then in the mountain in the mountain setting I feel confident and I I feel confident to go hard downhill because I I, I know that I worked my 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 quads to be prepared for it but yeah.
0: Yeah. Good advice. So do you have a coach? I'm curious because you mentioned earlier that you sometimes will do two or three runs a day. It sounds like you take a somewhat casual approach to your training, but obviously you're serious about it. You do the little things like get in the weight room. Um, tell us about sort of how you structure things and maybe you could use the specific, adve- uh, example of, you know, your buildup to Western States this year.
1: Yeah, of course. Um, so no, I do not have a coach. Um, for me, it's, it's very important that I, I keep a dimension of fun. And I, I considered multiple times, uh, working with the coach just cause I do think that sometimes it would be good for me. Um, but my biggest fear is that I would ever be in a position to say no to someone like, uh, you know, if you're, if someone offers a, a fun weekend activity or like a fun weekend loop and you really want to do it, but that's not on your program. Like, I, I don't think I I'm willing to, to do that just yet. Um, I'd rather, um, I'd rather put forward like the adventures versus uh, a specific training. So that's my reason for it. But that being said, I don't think that the, I I'm still open to consider it. It's just not my situation right now. Um, and the way that I structure my training. So, uh, back in the, back in the day, I used to, to get uh, a lot of injuries, overuse injuries. Um, I've had quite a few, so I have I have had stress factors and I've noticed that over a certain mileage is where, um, I am most prone for them. Um, so I am usually very caref- careful at uh, making sure that I'm below a certain threshold. And that's, that's all I usually worry about during a given week. Um, so for example, I take a look at my weekly mileage, um, and I make sure that by Sunday night, I'm not like way over that weekly mileage. Um, and to be honest, sometimes it'll happen, but it's just a matter of keeping, keeping an eye on it and making sure that I'm not overdoing it. And, and taking care of my body because that's my that's my biggest uh, uh, pitfall in a certain way is <laughs> I overdo it and and injured. then I get injured and mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So, what do you think? I mean, because clearly, if I'm looking at your race results over time, there was that hiatus due to injury, but in the last twelve months, like you've really moved up a step, you know, you, you've you definitely established yourself as being one of the world's best in the highest echelon of athletes in the sport. Is there anything in your training or anything in your lifestyle that you've changed that you think has contributed to this sort of jump up in performance that you've experienced in the last 12 months, or is it just simply the fact that you do have that sense of gratitude emerging from the injury and maybe having a little bit of extra energy and motivation in its aftermath that has led to this awesome run of success?
1: Yeah, I think gratitude for sure is number one, but I think number two is a, a, because I'm so grateful for it, I make it my priority. Um so you know, the leading leading up to western states, that wasn't uh perfect at all as well. Uh, I actually dislocated um a bone in my left heel uh, like two months before western states or it was in March. so um that actually cost me a lot of my preparation um but, my what I try to do is always make it a priority. And and what I did for both Western States and UTMB is, a, you know, I went in California ahead of time. I made sure to really kind of immerse myself with the environment. And I was focused on on the race without it stressing me like it was just about like the whole month of June for me was about Western States. And that's just what I was going to that's what I was going to be doing. And that's what I was going to be focusing on. Um, and, uh, so I do think that make, that makes a difference and that's not something that I had done in the past. Um, but I had also never raced rest in States before. So, um, I think that, uh, I I don't know, I don't know if that's a difference, um, but I, I do think that it helped for sure. And I did the same for UTMB. So the whole month of August, I was in, I was out in Chamonix. Um, running up those mountains or walking up those mountains and uh, getting used to the environment, getting used to working with poles, getting used to the altitude. And and I do think that that did help me prepare for those two big events.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, the specificity. Mm -hmm. So you were the first athlete to podium at both Western States and UTMB in the same summer since Mr. Killian Journey did it back in 2011 and it's an incredible accomplishment. I mean, anytime <laughs> you're in the conversation with Killian Journay is a is a good uh, yeah, good good accomplishment or a good conversation to be a part of. So, obviously I want to talk a lot about UTMB, but maybe let's meditate on Western States a little bit before we get to it. You seem to have a really solid race there. And I know that you said in your post UTMB interview with Iron Farr that Western States was your main focus for the season. Mm -hmm. UTMB was sort of uh, taking sort of a, a, a secondary role in terms of how you were prioritizing your goals. What were your main takeaways from that fantastic third place at Western States?
1: Um, well, Western States is my first hundred mile, right? So I think I have a lot of takeaways to take away from it. Wait, okay. I, I, I
0: mean, I should have known this, but, but that was you've run 200 milers in your life and you podiumed at Western States and UTMB. That's crazy, Marion. Awesome. Keep going. I'm sorry to interrupt.
1: No, that's okay um i laughed just because i mean so western states um and i'm incredibly grateful for my third place finish and and i'm i'm happy for it and everything but it was just to me it was just not at all a good race (laughs) like i got so sick i was so sick between like kilometer 30 up until kilometer 75 i was throwing up like i've never thrown up in my life like not even outside of running um so what it really showed me is that, you know, it's 100 mile and 100 miles is a really long time. And you can be going, you know, no matter what happens at my, at, at kilometer 30, it's definitely not what's going on at uh, kilometer 120 of the race. And that's just something that I really wanted to, to bring forward through UTMB is just not panic when things aren't going well and just keep moving forward. Because if you're moving forward, you're progressing. And if you're progressing, then you're getting closer to the finish line. And that's really all that you can do. Um, and you can't expect, you know, you can't expect to be running fast the whole time. Um, I think that that was the biggest change for me mentally, uh, cause you know, coming off from like running Bandera, for example, which Bandera was like the most perfect race I've ever had in the sense of like, I've never had a down moment. It was, you know, good pace the whole time, nutrition, hydration, everything was perfect. Whereas Western States was all over the place left and right. Like, oh. uh, my my mental game was just like, I have no idea how I, I don't even know how I made it, made it to the finish line. To be honest, I was so dehydrated in the next day. It was crazy. Um, but talk, so, talk
0: about that a little bit. I'm curious. Cause, cause now from memory, I think you came into Duncan Canyon, like in the lead or with the leaders, and then you've kind of faded until sort of the middle of the top 10 and then ran your way yeah. back onto the podium. How did yeah. that all
1: play out? So What happened is, you know, when you come into Duncan, like at the top of the hill before Duncan Canyon, I was maybe like in sixth or seventh or something, but there's a big downhill and that downhill is very runnable. And I love downhills. Like I just really enjoyed them. So I just decided to go for it and I ran my way to first place, but I didn't know that that's where the aid station was and Duncan Canyon. And then I show up first (laughs) at the aid station. Um, But then it was always my my strategy to kind of to go easy on the uphill because I had, uh, some, some pain on my left side, um, and going uphill is where it was hurting, but it was when I got out of Duncan Canyon that I started feeling very, very sick and then making my way out of Duncan Canyon and then Robinson flat. And then Uh, that that whole other downhill section I was barely able to run and I was very panicking well I was just kind of like disappointed because in my head and you know through Western States Memorial Camp I was just telling to myself like man this part like you can bomb this part you know and then I was running through it and I was just like basically jogging like barely able to move like I was just and then that's where I kind of started getting in my head like man I'm having the worst race of my life like this isn't going well like but I'm still moving. And then, and then I started throwing up and then I was just thinking like, like, it's weird because like, I was just thinking at that point, I was like, all I have to do is make it to the finish and that's all I have to do. And then eventually I started, the the stomach issues started going away and then I started having energy again. And then I started feeling great. And that's when I started picking up people again. So that's kind of how I lived in my Western States, but it was, it's just weird because in my head it was not good. Like it was not a good race. I was not feeling well. I was sick for most of it, but then the result is great. So I was just like, okay, well I'll take it. But <laughs> it was it's weird. interesting,
0: isn't it? Yeah. It's sometimes you don't have to feel good to perform well. So yeah. I, I mean, maybe you could talk about the competitive dynamic a little bit because you guys were really close. I recall, doing the finish line interview and we were we had three of you on the track at the same time doing the finish line interviews I can't remember was it Elsa McDonald yourself and Lucia Bueller. I think we're all sitting in the chairs at the same time uh, it was Lucia and uh, Emily
1: and um, Emily Hoggett right yeah, that's yeah, what it was Emily yeah.
0: Hugged, yeah so so maybe talk about that the competitive dynamic in the women's field that day at western states and and how you were able to then rally to ultimately finish on the podium
1: um, yeah, so it's very interesting because that's what kind of, uh, that's kind of what got me out of my, uh, out of kind of my negative state, because what was going on is I felt horrible, but I never really got past. Like I got past at the beginning when I started feeling sick, but then even when I threw up, like all through that section, I never got passed by anyone. So I was thinking like, huh, like, this is interesting. I must still be top 10, but, um, I didn't really know where I was. Um, and then eventually, when I started fueling again, that's when I started catching up to people and people who had passed me a really long time ago that I thought were long gone. You know, like in yeah. my head, they were almost at the finish. Um, so it's very interesting, and and that's what that's what I love about hundred miles is that it's not over till it's over, and you and you just have to keep pushing. Um, but uh, there is there are so many of the girls like I feel like they were they were just popping out of everywhere. You know, like when mm. I when I left um, when I left uh, Forest Hill going on and down into that next section there is like we pass I think yeah I think we like so my pacer he kept saying that we needed to play (laughs) pac-man and so we we were looking for we were looking for for women ahead and it was almost like oh there's one (laughs) and it was like oh you gotta go um so it was just kind of like a game and and we had a good time um but it's very interesting because like the women at western states like I feel like that's the most um, like sportsmanship I've ever seen in any type of situation, like Western states specifically. And I don't know why exactly. I do think that it's the you know, the pillars of the sport, like casey and and Magda, who really set that years back. but i I love how it it keeps going forward. And like even though we're passing each other, we have so much respect for one another that it's kind of weird, you know, like it's yes. it's a competitive situation, but we're like, hey, like, good job, keep pushing, but yeah. I'm going <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead now. So Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's just interesting.
0: Beautiful. Yeah. And now Casey and Magda pass the torch to your generation. It's up to you to make sure that that gets passed down to, to the next generation too. Yeah. So fantastic. And it was so cool to see you race through. And yeah, it's funny. I can point to a few races in my career too, where the, the low points come really early and you think like, oh, I'm screwed. And then you're able to rally at the end and come out of it with an awesome you know, result to show for it. The Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by Gnarly Nutrition. Are you tinkering with your race day nutrition strategy? Are you finding that the nonstop consumption of energy gels and chews leaves you with intense taste fatigue and sugar overdose? Well, I have some advice for you, something I've done for years now, that is drink your calories. I've tried everything on the market and I am here to tell you that not all drink mixes are created equal. The gnarly Fuel 2.0 drink mix is by far the best that I've tried for both taste and energy supply. Fuel 20 is the bomb, especially the cherry cola flavor. That is my absolute favorite. It's all the carbohydrates, the electrolytes, the amino acids to power you along your trail adventures. Two more things that make it amazing. One, it is NSF certified for sport, so you don't have to worry about unintentionally ingesting any banned substances. And two, they come in both multi-serving bags and single-serving pouches. I typically use the big bag, but in case I use a single-serve stick in a race or a long training run where I need to refill my bottles, the sticks are actually easy to open. It's a miracle. We've all fumbled with drink mix pouches that are impossible to tear open on the run. Is there anything more frustrating? Well, Gnarly somehow solved for that too. So go grab some Fuel2O drink mix at Gonarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off your purchase. Gonarly.com, use code FREETRAIL15. So moving on, you know, the story of last summer, at least to me, was the difficulty or near impossibility of pulling off the Western States UTMB double. And we just mentioned that you and Killian are really the only people to finish on the podium of those two races in the same summer in the last decade plus. So of course, we need to learn from you is that how to pull this off all the professionals in the International ranks, I'm sure are eager to get your advice. So after Western States this year, of course, you said that it wasn't a perfect race, but you're still able to finish on the podium. How did the recovery, uh, you know, how, what was your approach to recovery after Western States with the understanding that you were hoping to stand on the start line at UTMB only two months later?
1: Yeah. I made sure to like completely cut off running for like a, one week. Um, like I, I got myself in an environment that has nothing to do with running. I went to visit a friend in Seattle, um, kind of just had a good time and, and that was really important for me. And, and I think it really, uh, helped me recover and, and mentally recharge as well. Um, and then, uh, I had told myself that I was going to take like two weeks off of running, but then, the I don't know. I, I feel like it, it's easy to once again, I came back to Montreal and it was really easy to, to to join community runs. And I was just like, oh, I'll just go see how I feel. So I took like a week to kind of get back and just kind of jogging a little bit. And then um, I had four weeks to build for to build because I, I, I had eight weeks between the 200 miles. So what I figured is I do two weeks off, four weeks build and two weeks kind of like tapering for UTMB. Um, so I kind of uh, started again uh, on my third week that weekend I did the huge weekend um, and it was really funny because when I started running that weekend, uh, the morning of I went running with like six of my guy friends and we started going up a hill and my body immediately like um my face was so red. Like it, 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 it was red and my heart rate was going off charts. And I was, I was uh, breathing like crazy. Like everyone was looking at me like, okay. Like we were doing the presidential traverse, like out and back, yeah. but it was a, on the first hill. Like it really looked like I was going to die. <laughs> and so, um, it's really interesting. Cause I was thinking like my body's my body is probably in shock and kind of telling mm. my, telling my brain, like, tell her we're not doing this again. You know, like (laughs) (laughs) we're not gonna do this. Yeah. but I pushed through it and eventually my body kind of like regained my, uh, I don't know, it came back to, to my regular zone and, mm-hmm. and I was able to do it. And, and so uh, that really started kind of like my, my build up towards UTMB. Um, and my sole focus during those four weeks was getting as much vert as possible, mm-hmm. um, as often as possible. Uh, but I still had, I was doing the full month of July in Montreal, so I didn't really have access to a lot of birth in July. Um, but then I went to, uh, to Chamonix for, for, for the month of August. And that's really where I focused on, on incorporating as much vert as possible. And and yeah. I do think that that helped me transition for sure.
0: Cool. Yeah. So I want to talk about that a little bit more too, because obviously I, like, I just wanted, I, I don't know if you're on Strava, I need to look this up, but the specifics, I okay. I need to look this up. I should have done this before our conversation. But the specifics are, I think, fascinating or interesting for the listeners, right? Because yeah. the, you know, you arrive in in Chamonix and you have this depth of strength and fitness from Western states, right? So you said that the emphasis then turns to vertical. So you're probably doing a lot of climbing, a lot of hiking, a lot of, you know, steeper descending. Are you also thinking about your overall? volume or do you feel like you've already checked that box because you've just completed a hundred mile race what's the balance between volume intensity and vertical
1: um i've already checked that box so i'm not thinking about volume but um but when you try to get as much vert as possible volume also comes along with it um i think i had my biggest uh, biggest volume week um three weeks before utmb and and uh it was volume heavy and elevation gain heavy <laughs> yeah
0: yeah. And and how were you feeling? Like, were you standing on the start line of UTMB feeling fit and fresh and confident? Or were you still feeling a little bit banged up and fatigued from Western states? Because, you know, I'm curious about this because I've raced these big races myself throughout my career. And I always need like deep physical, emotional, spiritual recovery <laughs> afterwards. And so I'm just curious about like your confidence versus insecurity or Fatigue versus freshness at the start line of UTMB?
1: Um, So I'll answer this question two parts. I was feeling very confident in myself. Um, I was feeling great. I was feeling fit and I was feeling ready to roll. Um, But I had never really raced in Europe. I had never really raced in those big mountains. And I had no idea how that, how I was going to turn out in comparison to like Europe, the European athletes who, you know, everyone listed for, you know, on the I1 Far, like definitely that Canadian was at the bottom of the list or, or like, uh, you know, it's, it's so I was feeling great, but I didn't know how I would compare or how my physical abilities would compare to the others. And that's what I was curious about. but to me, what was important is that I was feeling good and I was gonna race at the best of my abilities. And if my body, you know, a lot of people asked me before the race if I had recovered from Western States, and I said, Well, at this point I can tell you yes, but at the middle of the race, maybe my my answer will be different. And I don't know how it's gonna turn out, but yeah. I'm willing to I'm willing to go find out, you know.
0: Amazing. And you did find out and uh, with <laughs> yeah. an incredible result to to show for it. And I'm still dumbfounded at the fact that. You've run 200 mile races. and You've been on the podium of Western States. <laughs> it's a, a great yeah. start, and probably the challenge for you now is to maintain a sense of humility that it's not always going to be that easy or that successful. But
1: I but definitely don't think that the, it will be that easier, yeah. that successful. And I mean, there's there's definitely a you know first luck the <laughs>
0: beginner's, <laughs> luck. <Yeah>. beginner's luck, beginner's <laughs> luck, <Yeah>.
1: exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm okay with that.
0: Yeah, well, it's the attitude that I think probably has contributed to that, you know, great start for you of just having that sense of like, I'm happy to be here, let's go give it a good effort and the result will be what it is. And hopefully you can maintain that attitude and not put too much pressure on yourself. And especially now that, like I said, I feel like your life is probably materially changed after this summer. And now you're going to go into every single race that you do, whether it's here in North America or in Europe or anywhere else internationally. And Marianne Hogan's name is going to be listed among the contenders. And so it is going to be difficult, I think, for you to, you know, have the the same psychology, but, um, you know, that's a a good problem to have, so to speak. So let's talk about UTMB. Um, obviously, you know, Katie Scheid went off the front and at a fairly aggressive pace and we'll sort of get into how everything played out, but maybe let's just start by talking about how you were thinking about the race strategically and how it played out in the early miles for you. Maybe take us through Lake Contamine or so.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, So uh, yeah, I mean, I always tell myself that I want to go progressive in these runs. um, But it was really funny because my friend Mathieu was a was at the start line and he insisted that I was I I stand next to him because he's like, there's never any girls on the start line of UTMB like you should be standing on the front line. (laughs) So I ended up starting with him and obviously like ended up starting off pretty quickly. Um, When I got passed by Jim Wamsley at like kilometer three or four, I got pretty nervous. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, darn it, did I just mess this up for myself? Um, but no, I mean, I was having a great time and I wasn't pushing that hard, but I was just trying to, you know, make the most of it. And um, I honestly had a great time, like through UTMB, like you go through those those cities, like going through Les Uches, um, there are so many people there cheering and everyone is either yelling your name because they see it on your bib, or because the announcer called it. I don't know, but everyone seems to know who you are, and they're yelling your name, and it's just there's so much enthusiasm. Same goes for Saint-Gervais. I go through Saint-Gervais, and I'm feeling great, and I'm having the best of times, and I'm like feeling like this is this is this is the race of a lifetime. Um, and then I keep going. I'm going towards the contamine. and then that's when I started having stomach issues again for some reason. I started feeling very sick um i have to stop to go to the bathroom three times before Le Contamin, and i'm thinking like oh, not again like what? what is really? going on yeah um uh, but i don't really let it affect me i get to Le Contamin, i know that i'm behind katie everyone keeps telling me and and, and it's funny because the people who are giving me splits so everyone was telling me that i was second female but the people who are giving me splits they were telling me but they were also saying like she's starting off really fast like yeah. don't don't uh don't um don't judge your your pace based on her because they were telling me that she was going out fast yeah. um which in my head I always thought it was funny because I was like I'm just running here I don't know how far Katie is anyways yeah. like but yeah so I go to Le Contamin and then going up uh, Le Col du Bonhomme I, I'm still having stomach issues um but but it starts leaving me um when I get to Le Chapier that's when I finally start feeling better um and then uh I uh I start going up uh, uh what's the next one it's Concolle de la Seine saying, yeah. yeah so I go up de Seine and I'm feeling great and at that point I'm still second I I'm still kind of in this belief that I'm in second and I'm going up and I'm feeling good so I'm just I just take my little pace and I'm I'm going about my way um and then I make it on the other side um and then I see Greg Valet who's there and he gives me a, a spit and he says hey you took on time you're now taking time on Katie.
0: Yeah, okay. So
1: from Le Chapier to like, is the way I started taking time. So he says, just keep moving, um, keep moving at a good pace and you're going to slowly pick back up on her. So then yep. I'm like, huh. There's still when, a lot
0: of race to go at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, I know.
1: So I was just like, huh, interesting, but I'm feeling good. So I'm going to keep pushing at the pace that I'm going. And so I go, I go, I make it to Courmayeur. And again, I had taken some time on her and mm-hmm. that's where I... I did a very quick uh, aid station stop. Yes.
0: So let me pause you there because yeah. I was doing the commentary here in my basement. watching Because <laughs> okay. nice. Katie took like, I think it was, eight or nine minutes at the aid station and you were there for two or three. And so yeah. I recall in my own sort of analysis saying, okay, well, Marianne has taken six minutes just in this aid station transition. It goes back to what you said earlier about your triathlon days. Yeah, and yeah, you yeah. Can, can you minimize that <laughs> yeah. but Katie was still had a fairly comfortable lead of, you know, 20 minutes or so. So then it seemed like out of Cormier, Katie started to struggle a little bit. You start making up, massive time on her yeah. and then ultimately make the pass somewhere around the grand Col foray. So please paint the picture. I want all the details of what happened as you saw Katie knew that you were making the approach. And then what happened when you made the pass, because I mean, that's a big thing, Marianne, I don't know if you really appreciate it, but like coming into the lead of the UTMB in the second half of the race is like a pretty big accomplishment in life, just being in the lead at UTM. So I want you to give us all the details of how that played out.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, coming out of Comayar that you have like one steep hill, but then you're running on the you're running kind of like on the, what they like to call like a terrace. Like it's just kind of like goes up and down, up and down. And, and historically that's more my strength than anything else in the course. So like in my head, I was just like, okay, this is a good place for me to have some fun here. So I just start running, I'm running up and down those hills. And I start kind of pushing up the pace and I start picking up the guys one by one. Um, and I, I just move forward like that. And when I make it to Arnouvaz um, the people at the A station, they tell me like, hey, Katie was just sick and she's two minutes ahead of you. So I'm like, oh, OK, this is nice. This is interesting. Um, and so I take off. Uh, I take off really easy and I go up Ferret and I see Katie like she's two minutes ahead and we're going up a hill. So I can see her this whole time. But I'm thinking like there's absolutely no I'm in no rush. Like I don't need to pass Katie at all going uphill. Like I'm just kind of going up. So I'm I'm going I'm going and I pass I, I catch up to her like at the very top, um. But mine, Katie, at this point, and I told her this after the race, and I didn't want to tell her during because I didn't want to frighten her. But she was so white, like she was white like my t-shirt, like she was f- frightened me right. And she was like wearing a uh, a full buff, a hat, gl- uh, gloves, a jacket, and I was just in a t-shirt.
0: <laughs> really? I,
1: yeah, it was really interesting the contrast. Um, so I make it up. I, I go up all the way to her. And I was thinking like, oh, I'll just catch up to her and then kind of just relax here for a little. Because um, I again, I love downhill. So then we make it to the top and then I put my stick, my poles away. And that's when I'm like, OK, well, I'm going to have some fun here. Yeah. And then I I started going downhill and I just passed her. And it wasn't like it, it wasn't at all tactical. It wasn't like it was just like this seems to be like a good spot and I'm feeling great and I'm just going to go for it. So I I went for it and it, and, and it was pretty fun.
0: So did she try to stick with you there when you made the pass? And and maybe also talk about the psychology of that. Like, did you feel the weight of, I'm Marianne Hogan, the proud Montreal Canadian, and I'm now in the lead of the UTMB at over 100 kilometers into the race? Like, it's a pretty important part of the race where you took the lead too.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I passed her and all I said was like, let's go, Katie, you're crushing it. And she said she responded like you, too. But there was like no, there was no assessment that she was coming with me because like she was going at it because when I caught up to her at the top, I took the time at the top to kind of like slow down, put my poles away and get myself in descending mode, whereas she got to the top, kept going and, the, and she was all dressed still. And she had her poles in her hands when I passed her. Yeah. Like her. They were all open. And when I passed her, it was there was no like like I, I, th- there was no. no I didn't think she was gonna fall. I I don't think she was gonna follow. And she was still very white, you know. So, um, and I had been cat. She had seen me the whole um, hot like hike up, like catching up to her, and kind of just like staying there. So, but it was really funny, and we'll get to it. But then she did the exact same in reverse to me.
0: So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's get to it. But but tell me about the psychology there. I mean, were you like? I mean, there's two types of people in the sport. I feel like, you know, at least myself, I probably would have panicked and like totally, you know, freaked myself out to be in the lead of the UTMB. And there's others who thrive with that.
1: No, I was pressure. driving. I was Tell just me. like, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I passed and I was having such a good time. Like in my head, all I was thinking was like, woo! <laughs> like, <laughs> that's all I was going on. Like I was just having a good time. And I, I was just going down the hill. Like it was a, a Saturday run with my friends you know like having a good time pushing the downhill and and then and then I started seeing when I got to um then on the downhill I saw some people that I knew and they were super excited and that kind of like brought my soak level up and then I went to La Foulie, and my whole family was there and then I got super excited and then uh <laughs> oh, that must have been so cool yeah yeah
0: yeah my um, whole family
1: was there in La Foulie, so that was really cool and I, I was like when I feel good and I'm in the race, like, I'm not like you can talk to me and I'm just laughing and I'm having a great time. It's not like I'm focused or anything. It's very like we're having a conversation here. You know,
0: that's how all the great athletes seem to be in our sport. You know, (laughs) the world-class ones can manage to carry on conversations and crack jokes, even when they're suffering mightily 120 kilometers into the race. So Ultimately, you had some physical problems though at UTMB in your post-race, I run far interview, you referred to them as mechanical issues I think <laughs> we're going back to your triathlon vocabulary. Yeah. Um, and since the race you posted on Instagram that you tore your so as, so tell us what happened into the race in the race and, and how the the problem manifested physically.
1: Yeah. Um, it was really funny because before I figured out what I had, I just kept saying that I had a, I got a flat tire in my left leg. <laughs> um, and what I ended up having was actually a, a hole in my psoas, which was pretty big. Um, when I saw the doctor, he said he had never seen a hole that big in the psoas before. So um, so what happened is I make it all the way to uh, at the bottom of the hill going up to Champelac. Um, mm-hmm. I'm still feeling good, like everything's great. And then I start going up and then for some reason I start feeling like kind of like this electrical, like kind of like something's going like all through my left side, but it's starting in my hip. Um, and as I'm lifting my foot, like off the ground, like I'm start, I'm starting to feel like sharp pain in my left hip. Mm -hmm. So then I'm thinking like, Oh, this is not good. Like, I don't know what this is, but this doesn't feel like, um, I'm tired kind of the kind of pain. So. I've I decided to, to walk the entirety of that hill going up to Champelac when I get to Champelac I sit down and I take like a five minute break um and my brother's there and I tell him like hey can you make sure that you you get me the physio at the next aid station because I want to talk to him I don't really tell what's going on I'm just like because I didn't want to really make it a reality but at the same time I really needed to figure it out like so I, I get going and then um I go up Champelac and then there's like a downhill before you start going up again. And in that yep. next, and in that next downhill is where I uh, my body was just like, there's no way that you can be going downhill right now. And, and like I started like losing kind of like, I was putting my foot on the ground and I couldn't really like uh, hold my body up. Like it was just hurting me.
0: Uncoordinated with, or something.
1: Uh, I was uncoordinated and I couldn't really, it was just so painful. And that's when it started being really, really bad. I made it to the top of that hill. And I don't know how I did it because I was just like I, I, I was using my poles. I was just like kind of keep moving, keep moving, but I knew something was 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 off. Um and then so Katie caught me at the very top of that hill. And then we it was really funny. I do want to say what she told me. She told me that um I said, Hey, I said, there you are. And then she said, Yeah. I said, You're feeling better. She says yes. And then I she said. I had a sandwich. I heard you say that at Western States that when you threw up, you had a sandwich and you felt better. And then she said, it really helped me. And I, was yes. like, <laughs> I said, I said, cool. And then she like, she, she's, uh, then we started going downhill, but like I could barely do it. And so she, I was just like, okay, well go ahead. And she, she went down and that was the last time I saw her. And and that was honestly the last, like the, the end of my race. I was just <laughs> like, Okay. I, at this point, my only goal is to finish the race and, and I'm going to make that my priority, but, uh, that's all I'm going to be able to do. So well,
0: Man, that makes me so happy to hear that you guys had that type of an exchange. It that you know, the deepest part of a very competitive battle at the world's most important race is that the two you know, <laughs> leaders can crack jokes about eating sandwiches. Yeah. I think I recall an I run far Twitter update of. Katie Scheid coming into champagne lock saying something to that effect, like, oh, I had a cheese sandwich and now I'm feeling better. And so she, of course, went on to achieve a fantastic victory and you held on to the finish line and a fantastic second place performance, even though you were dealing with a hole in your psoas, as you described. (laughs) Any highlights from those closing miles aside from just sort of being a hobbled person in agony that you think are (laughs) worth mentioning?
1: Uh, well, I just want to give a huge shout out to my crew and, and, and the, the team, the Solomon team. So the physio and the other members of the Solomon team who were just like incredibly supportful, supportive of me. And, and, um, you know, it wasn't pretty, it was not pretty at all. And, and it must not have been fun. And, um, I'm entirely, you know, I made it to the finish line because of them and, and I have them to thank for sure. Um, not only did I make it to the finish line be, uh, because of them, but I I held on to my second place because of them. And and for that, I'm grateful. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I I definitely want to thank them for that.
0: Yeah. Incredible. How are you feeling physically now with the so as issue and having put yourself through two of the hardest and most competitive hundred milers in a two month span? Like, are you taking some serious downtime now? Do you feel like you're legitimately injured or, are you, are you more just like fatigued and needed a, a little rest?
1: Um, well, my, the thing that's keeping me from doing anything right now is really my psoas. Um, in the sense of, you know, the doctor was very clear that I need to take at least six weeks off running. Oh, um, yeah. Okay. So there's no doubt that, that, that is a, <laughs> that I will have to do. And, um, but that being said, I, I do think that it's good for me. I, I think that, uh, you know, Um, given the circumstance uh, I have no choice but I think that that would have been the wiser choice regardless Um, I think that uh, you know I luck of you know beginners luck uh i can only count on beginners luck uh one time and now i have to start making smart decisions and uh jokes aside i, I do i do think that there is something to be said of uh you know relaxing uh, respecting your body respecting your limits and um i knew that i was pushing i was pushing the the my limits by doing 200 my two first 100 miles in a two months period, and I was going to take some time off. It's just I would have liked to be able to to go for a jog in two or three weeks, but I guess I'll have to wait. Uh, I wait six weeks for that to happen, yeah. and um, I'm I'm actually going to go back and and do some work with my with my Paralympic team, so the the Paralympic triathlon team. So it actually it it actually works out great. I'm going to start swimming more and biking more, and and running. We'll just have to wait for a little bit.
0: Yeah. Well, I was just gonna say taking six weeks off is probably the wise thing to do, even if it weren't forced. So Yeah. No, no doubt you'll get through that in the blink of an eye. In fact, when six weeks are over, you're probably gonna be like, I'm not sure I really want to (laughs) start training again. Yeah. So you mentioned Matthew Blanchard a little while ago and you guys standing on the start line together. I wondered if you maybe wanted to share your reflections about you two who are apparently good friends, I, I've heard from our mutual friend, Nico, or another great Montreal, Canadian trail runner guy that uh, you and Matthew are are good friends. So I wondered if you maybe wanted to, to share what the experience was like to both have such spectacular performances, finishing second place in the world's most important race together and, and what your interactions have been like, after the fact.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, actually, Matthew is one of my closest friends. Um, I met him through the Solomon Running uh, Ultra Running Academy in 2017. Um, And we were the people selected to kind of keep going forward. And so we ended up running the Trans Alpine together, which is a stage race um, uh, that you have to be paired so you can't do a seven day stage race with someone and, and not become, you either become best friends or you, be, you end up hating each other. And, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and in our case, we became best friends and and we've been best friends ever since uh, in, in the sense of, you know, he's definitely uh, someone that I, that I look up to, someone who is incredibly uh, generous with his um, knowledge and um, his time. Uh, in the sense of like, we spend so much time running in the mountains together and he never stopped, you know, like he's done UTMB twice before. And so in August, when we did it together, he took a lot of his time to tell me like, Hey, here, you should be eating a lot here. You should be taking out your poles, like all of those little details that really do add up. Um, and that mean a lot. Um, but also, uh, so I do think that that's one part of it, but I do think that, um, you know things he did the thing he did about me standing on the on the front line of UTMB I think shows a lot about the person he is he cares a lot about other people and and I I I think it's nice that he said like he said something along the lines of like he thinks that the start line of UTMB is too macho like and you need to bring more women to the front and and I appreciated him for saying that and and um so yeah that that's definitely on the on the on the side of you know the the, the impact he's had for, for my preparation for this race. Um but during the race it was just amazing because uh, I kept asking updates like uh from this from the team. I was like, hey, how is Mathieu doing? Where is he? Um and at one point when I was leading, he was also leading, um, which was very, very fun for wow. I thought was very cool. And then it was funny that we both ended up second. Um, but I do think that um he delivered, you know obviously a historical performance one of the best but, 100
0: mile races yeah. of all time
1: yeah 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 incredible and, yeah and and mentally very very challenging race because if you're racing against killian like i can't yes. like I, I can't even imagine how difficult that must be like because he was going head to head with Killian and right. he wasn't letting go like he well so, that's like
0: it goes back to what i just said you know there's two types of people in the world right somebody who shrinks from that that, uh you know, opportunity and somebody who rises to that occasion, and he very much did so. Incredible. Yeah,
1: he rose to the occasion and he was he was not letting go, you know. He gave it his very best shot until the very end. And and you know, he 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 who knew, like he he could have gotten it. And and that's what's great about this sport is that um and that's what's great about Matthew is that he really put himself out there and that's what you need to do, you know, in ultra running, like anything can happen and you have to put yourself out there because otherwise it's not gonna happen to you. Um so I I do think that he is a good example of that. And I'm so happy that he got second. And then uh we had a good laugh. Because there pictures, be, there were pictures being taken and sent to. So we're we're like two friends in a group of friends, and on the podium, the both of us are standing next to Killian and Jim, and so it's like it, like a group of friends. You're like, what are you two doing? With- <laughs> what are you two doing with Killian yeah. and Jim? It was, yeah. just, it was really funny.
0: Oh, that's so great. Um, yeah. And he of course now has a a golden ticket to Western States. I'm going to try and get him on the podcast too. Maybe I'll ask for your help in achieving that, but, uh, I'm hoping he'll come down here to the U S to, to race our, you know, our quintessential North it's, American hundred mile race too.
1: It's funny because I, I wanted him to come in 2022 because I was going, um, yeah. and I was so excited because that was my goal. Obviously I wasn't qualified yet, but I I had tried to get him out for 2022, but, uh, I'm trying for 2023, but, uh, I'm worried that this UTMB performance is gonna change his, uh, planning He's like, schedule. I'm so
0: close. I'm so close. Yeah. Cold. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So yeah. we'll see. Well, we'll see.
0: you both are. And, uh, yeah, you know, there's time to, Check everything off the bucket list. So whether it's next year or off in the future, it'll be great to have Matthew at Western States eventually. Yeah, um, of course. What what about Katie? Did you guys or Caitlin Gerbin or any of the other, you know, women in the top 10? Were there any fun interactions after the race that are memorable that you'd like to share?
1: Yeah, well, I chatted with Katie quite a bit. Um, it's really nice because uh she's actually a really good fan of Cami uh Camille Brias. And yeah. I got to to know Camille a lot at Western State, so she had she had spoken to me about camille a lot. um so it was really nice. I mean, after the race we just got to we we just got to chat a lot um but no, I mean just it, it was nice to catch up and and to get to know her because during the race, obviously we had like a maybe a a, a four minute total conversation, but uh, that's it. so it was nice to kind of sit yeah. down and 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 learn more about her. obviously she's from maine, which is really not that far from. Uh, from where I live. Um, That's right, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's just kind of nice, you know, it's kind of weird that the, we find ourselves uh, on the podium of UTMB, you know, a girl from Maine and the girl from Montreal. And and Caitlin, obviously, um, I chatted with Caitlin. Actually, I had a funny interaction with Caitlin because um, what happened was at the end of the race, someone was telling me, people were telling me that Caitlin was catching up to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I had to accelerate. And so I told her that I was worried that she was catching on to me the same way that she was caught on, like because I had watched her film, like The Last Mile. I don't know if yep, you've seen it. Yep, yep. Um, and so we we kept kidding around that I was gonna beat Caitlin Gerben by Caitlin Gerben. <laughs> <laughs> and so I we we were discussing that after the race, and it was really funny.
0: Yeah, so cool. Well, congratulations on an amazing performance. And it's so cool to see you, you know, the the best women in the world being so supportive of one another and, 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 you know, so like encouraging of one another and the sportsmanship. And I think one of the most, the coolest takeaways for me from this year is that nine countries were represented in the women's top 10. In fact, I may have it up on my computer right here. So let me see if I do. Yeah. So it was us, Canada, France, Hungary, Zimbabwe, China, Spain, Italy, and Germany, all represented in the women's top 10 at UTMB this year. Just so, so cool. And you and Katie put on a fantastic, you know, showing of competitiveness and grit and sportsmanship that I think will live in, uh, in history as every UTMB does. So Marianne it has been so fun to, to hang out and get to know you a little bit, maybe in closing, let's just talk about what you have coming up. I know obviously you're a little bit on the shelf right now and you're probably going to, I hope you're probably shutting it down for the season. You've kind of at least suggested that you don't have any other plans for the rest of this season, but looking further ahead, I mean, you're, like I said, you're just coming into like your prime as an athlete and you've clearly established yourself as one of the best in the world. How are you thinking about your future in the sport? What are you excited about and what else do you hope to accomplish?
1: Um, That's a good question. And the one that I really have to take some time to to think about the things that I want to accomplish. Um, But some things for sure uh, that I do want to do, and it it kind of just happened as a spur of the moment in the sense of, you know, when I got third at Western States, I immediately said that I wanted to go back. Um and at the same time I also wanted golden t- or a ticket for UTMB 2023. And so I was thinking like, oh, I said yes to that too. So <laughs> mm-hmm. so right now the, the the things that I do have um are are is actually West, Western States twenty twenty three and UTMB 2023. Um <clears throat> which Ever since I, I completed both and I, I put a hole in my psoas, I'm wondering if if there's a connection there and I should I should learn from my mistakes or anything <laughs> like that, which which I will take time to do and I will take time to meet with the appropriate professionals because I don't think that my personal opinion is enough. Um, uh, so I will take time to kind of evaluate that and 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 question myself as to if it's a good idea. Um, but now just a few days removed from UTMB, I think that my heart would be crushed if I have to pick one another, yeah. one, like one or the other, because yeah. I very much enjoyed Western States and and the family that's there and, and kind of the community of Western States. But then I went to UTMB and, and I kind of fell in love with the community out there, too. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know if I'll be able to, to pick one or the other. Um, but, uh, I am kind of, uh, excited to to go back and, and try to see if I can do better. Um, so that's kind of what I have for now. Um, obviously I'll probably have some preparation races or something, but, uh, that's kind of what I have lined up for the moment. Um, and eventually of course, I, I will want to go out and, and do some other stuff. Um, there, there is so much to, to be, there are so many cool races to do. And, um, I do really much enjoy the, the stage races. So I do think that that would be a fun thing to accomplish. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a lot of other countries that I'd like to visit that I haven't done. I haven't visited. So I would like to start ticking off some ultras, um, from all over the world, just to kind of make sure that I, that I also, also make the most of my experiences. Um, but yeah.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it's a tough decision to make to do Western States or UTMV or to do both of them. But I know that you will be cognizant and grateful of the fact that it's a great problem to have and that there's thousands of (laughs) ultra runners (laughs) around the world that would love to have the opportunity to run one of them. So, well, Marianne, congratulations on such an awesome year of racing. I'm sorry you're dealing with a little bit of an injury Um, it's not surprising after what you've (laughs) accomplished in the last 12 months, but, you know, I think this is a great opportunity for you to just rest and enjoy everything that you've achieved. And, uh, I hope that, you know, we'll have the opportunity to connect in person at, uh, Western States next year. And, uh, I appreciate you coming on the podcast.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Dylan.
0: Okay. Thanks so much to Marianne. What an athlete, what a likable and fun personality and what a future that she has ahead of herself. Can't wait to follow along. If you'd like to follow along and you aren't already, go follow Marianne on Instagram. I have a link to her profile in the show notes. Go smash that follow button. I also linked to a cool article about her triathlon guiding work that she did with the Canadian Paralympic team, very cool element to Marianne's story. So you can find a link in the show notes if you'd like to go a little bit deeper on that subject. Also in the show notes, you'll find a link to the Gorge Waterfalls 50K lottery registration, like I mentioned in the intro. So just smash that link. If you want to come run with us in April, 2023, we would love to see you there. Finally, there are a couple of Big changes coming for FreeTrail in the very near future. We'll be announcing in the next two weeks or so what those are. It's an important moment for us overall, but I'm calling chapter two of our business and hopefully a move towards viability and sustainability as a company. Excited to reveal a little bit more soon, but that's it for now. Love you mucho. Talk to you very soon. Bye-bye.